So today, uh, the title of our talk is In Our Image. In Hebrew, the word for image, it's selim. But when God speaks in Genesis chapter 1, he says, let us make God in our image. So let's read from Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. And then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The very words of God. So God created man in his own image. And the word there for man is Adam. And the word Adam means human, more than it means necessarily a male. As you can see that when God creates in his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. That both genders are included in the creation of humanity when God speaks and says, let us make Man, Adam, in our image, in our tselem, betselmenu. The word tselem is the word, the Hebrew word for image. And it means, it's derived from the word cell, which can mean shadow or reflection. It can also sometimes have a connotation of similarity. And at this point, we should all be a little bit shocked that Genesis chapter 1 starts with, and God said, let us create Adam in our image. Let's make man, humanity, in the image of God, in our likeness. Isn't this shocking? I find it shocking, honestly, that when we look at humanity, we are looking at something that is created in the image of God. And maybe we just grow up thinking that this is normal because we've grown up in church, we've heard these words before, but this should sort of stop us at a moment. In Hebrew today, in Israel, the word selim is used for making a photocopy. If you go down the hall here in the synagogue and you go to the copy room, it says selim on the outside for copies. You can go to the copy room and make it selim. In the ancient world, in Egypt, in Mesopotamia, the concept of an image of God was not foreign. In fact, King Tut's name literally means the living image of the god Amun, Tutankhamun. The living image of the God. And the kings in the ancient Near East, the kings in Egypt, the kings in Mesopotamia, were understood to be images of the gods. That they were God's representation or reflection here on earth. But this beautiful passage at the beginning of Genesis chapter 1 changes all of that. And if we, as many will say, that Moses is the one who's first recording Genesis, that's being recorded after they've exited out of Egypt, after they've had this confrontation with this God, Pharaoh, who's claiming to be, this King Pharaoh, who's claiming to be God, in that moment, as they're being pulled out, they're realizing that the king is not the only image of God. That As God starts to tell the story of how he's created the world, when he said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, that what we realize in that moment is that we are created to reflect the king of kings and that Genesis democratizes this concept 
that it's not just a king that has a beautiful pharaoh, you know, pharaoh palace or a wonderful tomb or all these things that's representing God here on earth, but that instead all human beings are created in the image of God, meaning that each person we meet, each one of us, bears that royal stamp, bears the royal authority, bears the image of God in the world around us. That we together bear the tselem of God. This story continues in Genesis chapter 5, along with that child dedication theme that we just had. And it says, written, this is the written account of, Adam, of Adam's line, of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them Adam. And when Adam had lived 130 years, he had, in his, had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. So Genesis chapter 5 tells us that though Genesis chapter 1 started with I created, God creates man in his image. Then we have the fall and we might be slightly thinking maybe the image has been flawed at this point. Maybe the image isn't continuing on after they hung out with that sneaky snake. But instead we see by Genesis chapter 5, even though there's been a murder between brothers, even though sin has entered the world, that still Adam is having a son who is in his likeness, in his image. And this passage right here tells us that children bear the likeness of their parents in the same way that we bear the likeness of our Heavenly Father. That he has that kind of relationship with us. And that image, that bearing forth of that image continues on in that story. And that's why child dedication is so important. That's why honoring the child that's now in our midst is so important because that child will bear the image of God in this world and that child will bear the image of his or her parents in this world and of his or her community. And that continues on and on today. Isn't that amazing news that we don't have to wait for King Tut to bear the image of God, that we don't have to wait for any royal authority to be the only one that gets to bear the image of the king, but that all of us together here on earth are the ones that are created in the image of God himself. Now, that doesn't mean that we are gods, does it? Not at all. But there's something, there's some reflection, some shadow, some similarity that as God has said, and he said this about nothing else, he said this not about plants or animals or anything else that he created, specifically only to human beings, that human beings, all human beings are created in his image. When you go through the Genesis account, everything is building up to this moment, right? God creates birds, and he creates a lot of different birds, and he creates sea life and a lot of different types of sea life, a lot of different plants, each after their own kind, all of these different varieties. And when he gets to this culmination point in the Genesis narrative, he says, let us make man in our image, male and female, he created them. It is a singular entity. It's not like with plants where he made lots of different kinds of plants. We are all, as humanity, singularity made in the image of God. We can't look at one another and say, you're less in the image than I am, or I'm less in the image than you are, or because of where you're from, or what you look like, or what color skin you have, or what shape your eyes are, or whatever it is that human beings have tried to do to divide themselves, and to try to say, there's more of the image in me than there is in you. None of that is possible when you look at the creation narrative. All of this, there's variety and distinction until it's, and let us make man in our image, in our likeness, male and female, he created them. 
male and female. So we can't even divide over gender and say the man is more in the image of God than the female is or the female is more in the image of God than the male is. That it's only through both male and female that we see the full expression of the likeness of the image of God in the world. This is radical stuff. Can you imagine being in a world where worlds are run by kings and presidents and, you know, committees and UN authorities or any of the other things that are out there that run and instead to say, you might think that you are the one that uniquely represents the power of God or the powers on this planet, but Genesis 1 tells us that all humanity is made in the image of God. That all of us are divine image bearers in this world. In Latin, the Imagio Dei. That all of us together have this image of God in us. And so we learn that we get to be the ones that bear that likeness out, bear that image out, and recreate it over and again, honor it when it's freshly born into our community again. We are created to recognize the tselem, the image of God in one another. Oftentimes I'll hear people say, I'm trying to identify how that person's more, you know, I need to identify more of the humanity in that person. I need to find more humanity in that act. But it's unique that the thing that makes us human, as opposed to animals, as opposed to anything else, is that we are born in the image of God. And so the thing that's distinctly human about us is the divine. The thing that's so unique about us is that we are made in the divine's image. And that as we start to live in the knowledge that we are made in the tselem, in the image of God, and we start to see and encounter one another and say, I see the tselem of God in you. I see the image of God in you. That in that moment, we are made more of what we're supposed to be. I'm becoming more human, more in the image. The more I acknowledge the image of God in you, the more that you acknowledge the image of God in me. Abraham Joshua Heschel, a Jewish philosopher and rabbi, Um, marched with Martin Luther King Jr. um, in the 60s through the Civil Rights Movement. And I love this picture of the two of them having this very human moment in the midst of difficult, um, hard walks as we just celebrated this last week. And here they are marching, linked, arm in arm, coming through. And as Abraham Joshua Heschel was invited to the first ever conference on religion and race, he started out his talk by saying that the first ever conference between religion on religion and race was actually between Moses and Pharaoh, where Moses went and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, I don't know who your God is. And this was that first conflict. And so Abraham Joshua Heschel stood up in front of an entirely African-American community and at that moment said, God is every human being's pedigree. He's either the father of all or of none. The image of God is either in everyone or in no one. God's covenant is with all humanity and we must never be oblivious to the equality of the divine dignity of all. The image of God is in the criminal as well as in the saint. How can my regard for another be contingent upon one's merit if I know that in the eyes of God, I myself may be without merit? And so Abraham Joshua Heschel started to teach his entire community, his community, as well as those who are marching for rights, as well as those in the African-American community, and saying as a Jewish rabbi whose own family members had perished in the Holocaust, that he knew what it was to start to lessen in the person across the table from him 
the image of God, to start to say this person may or may not have more or less of the image of God in them, and I can tolerate the inequality with, that per- with which that person's being treated because I'm being treated better in that moment. Not recognizing, not realizing that the moment we allow that inequality to happen in somebody else, we ourselves are letting the image of God be diminished in ourselves. We are becoming less in his image in that moment. Proverbs 14 says it this way. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Have you thought about that? That the way in which we treat one another honors God or doesn't honor God? If I'm treating you, the image of God, divine image bearer of God in my community, and I treat you less than what you are created by the maker to be, that I am dishonoring God himself. That I am dishonoring the maker himself who has created you and made you. James says it this way in chapter 3. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. How dare we do that? How dare we think that we can honor God, that we can worship God, that we can bless God and in the same moment curse a human being who is made in the image of God himself. All of this so richly tied together, so completely connected that as God creates humans, as he sets us forth in his image, in his likeness, he then says to rule over and to subdue into creation and to be God's image bearers in this world, to rule and to create and to live and to be free and to love in the way in which God has shown us he has done already through all of chapter one of Genesis. So would you agree with me that there are ways in which we can more reflect or less reflect the image of God at any given moment? It really reminds me of that passage in Genesis at the very beginning when God chooses to do the flood. And he says he looks out after the entire earth and he sees that every inclination of the human heart is wickedness all the time. And the Lord is grieved, it says, grieved that he has made human beings. That makes sense to me now if I understand that we're created in the image. Because if we're supposed to be God's image bearers and God himself is good and is loving and that whole beginning of Genesis, it was good and God thought it was good. He said it was good. It was good. It was awesome. It was good. And God, it was good. And if all of that and God's doing all these things, he's free to not create, but he creates. He's free to not love, but he chooses love. He's free to make something boring and drab, but he makes it beautiful and lively and awesome and amazing. And all of us as his image bearers, then the first thing that we do after we choose to disobey him is we then murder and we steal and we see wickedness on the face of the earth. No wonder God is grieved when he looks out to see his image on the face of this earth being so corrupt, full of wickedness all the time. The flood makes sense to me, and I know it's a weird thing to say, but if I saw something that was intended to be good and beautiful and just and loving and free, and instead it was corrupt and wicked in every way, it would grieve me too. And I can't imagine, for those of us who are parents in the room, don't you know your children reflect on you, right? Isn't that like the first thing that you would tell your kids? Like when you're, they're going to school and they do something, they, but I'm not, and you would say, but I remember having these arguments with my parents. But so-and-so's mom let them do it, and she would say, 
but I'm not so-and-so's mom, right? Like, you are the, you're my daughter. This is how you behave. My daughter behaves this way. My daughter's not going to behave that way. So, but, but Heather's mom lets her watch Eddie Murphy Raw, right? And my mom would say, you can't watch that. But, but so-and-so got her ears pierced when she was 10. No, Danielle, you're not. You're, and so my behavior immediately would reflect upon my parents, and they were clear on that. And so much so that I think it got a little twisted, right? Because occasionally I would freak out so much. Like, I'm constantly afraid of getting in trouble, right? It's a really big thing for me. So even on the airplane yesterday, I'm like telling Kevin, turn off your electronic device, please. I don't want to get yelled at. You know, I don't like getting yelled at. (laughs) Hate getting yelled at. Hate getting in trouble. Because everything I do reflects on my parents. And I know that I'm going to get, I know that, like, their approval was everything that I was aimed for, which is why it was so tough when you got in trouble when you were a kid, at least for me. My parents gave me a Rubik's Cube. This was when they were cool. There was actually like a game show where you had like competing. And like if you could solve it, you were a genius, you know? So I am a genius because I figured I could solve it by peeling off the stickers. (laughs) So I proceeded to peel off the stickers in dark corners of the house and then arrive like, ta-da, I am a genius. Look, I totally can solve the Rubik's Cube. At which point my parents, because I'm reflecting them, um, thought we're geniuses too. And so they started telling everybody, Danielle's a genius. She can do the Rubik's Cube. And they told my elementary school teachers and they told everybody that I could solve the Rubik's Cube. And the jig was up when the stickers started falling off after repeated unsticking and sticking because the glue does not work over and again. At which point then I had to go and apologize to all of the neighbors and all of the relatives and all of the teachers and tell them that I had lied and that I had peeled off the stickers, which I thought was still pretty ingenious. Um, And then, you know, had to apologize. I'm sure I got grounded and all that good stuff. All of that because my parents were greatly embarrassed, I'm sure, that I had lied and done this. But I, my behavior reflected on them. It was just how it worked. And so God, as he creates us and as he's our father and he's in relationship with us and as he makes us in his image and his likeness, we're a shadow, a reflection of him. As then his kids go off and we start to do much worse than stealing, peeling off Rubik's Cube stickers, God's grieving over that and longing for us to return. So ultimately, he sends his son, who's the ultimate Selim here on earth, the ultimate image. And it shouldn't be at all surprising that God's son comes here fully incarnate, God incarnate, because since the beginning in Genesis 1, God has been about getting his image, his divine image here on earth. Colossians 1 says it this way, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So when we're trying to figure out, we're trying to wonder, what does it look like to be in the image of God? What does it look like to love the way God loves? What does it look like to to care for the poor? What does it look like, God? Tell me how to bring more of your image into my life. Tell me how to live more fully into the way you've created me to be. We need only to look to the Son. We need only to look to how he lived, how he spoke, how he brought in the outcast, how he hung out with the marginalized, how he tried to change hearts and minds around him so that we could bear more of the image of God in our community. So today we get to choose more or less of the image. In the airport yesterday, I was staying there for a few minutes and all of a sudden heard this guy yelling. And he was a father... Um, he had a, a small son with him, probably about this high, and he was holding the son's backpack. And the father was yelling at this, like, older couple that looked like they'd done nothing wrong. They looked shocked. And he was like, 
mind your own business, screaming, cuss words, F words in the middle. Like, I thought security should come, right? Like, we were already past security. Why are they? And he's doing this with his son in his hand, pushing through. He's like, he didn't do anything wrong. Shut the F up. Like, it was like screaming, yelling crazy. And in that moment, everyone stops and is shocked. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody kind of break all social bounds, right? You're in the airport. Everyone's supposed to be well-behaved. You don't joke about bombs. You don't joke about any of those kinds of things. And you certainly don't start yelling at random strangers just because you've gotten off a people mover and clearly you're traveling and stressed. But then in my mind, you certainly don't, in front of the image of God of your child, start to shout at other people and demonstrate that what it looks like in that moment to be right is to start cussing somebody out in terrible language. And in that moment, my first thought was, that poor boy. Because all I could think of was that he's being taught right now that that's the right thing to do, that, that somehow that's the way to behave in that moment. And he's just getting pushed through and walked through as his father moves on. For me, in that moment, there was a degradation of the image. There was something that in that moment had been lost. There was only hatred being spewed forth. There was only anger. There was only um, hurt or frustration or mismanagement. I have no idea what the catalyst for that event was. But all I saw was that the image and the likeness of that father was being impressed upon that son. But that it was nothing like the father that I know, our heavenly father. And so in that moment, there's a choice. That father's making a choice. He's choosing to embrace less of the divine image and instead choosing the opposite. But we can also make the other choice, can't we? Colossians 3 says, Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is now being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. That if we are followers of Jesus, that we get to be renewed in the knowledge of the image of our creator, that we are being renewed. That our image, even if we were the ones yesterday in the airport who had that less than human moment, less than divine moment, where we cussed and we yelled and we cursed. Maybe it'll happen on the freeway on the way home. Um, well, if we have had those moments, then be of good cheer that because of Jesus, because of the relationship you have with God, because of the relationship I have with God, that we can choose instead to be renewed in the image of the creator on a daily basis. And then it ends with this in Colossians, because here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. We could add... In here, there is no father yelling F-words versus father not yelling F-words. That Christ is still in all. That that man making that choice at that moment is still made in the image of God and still has the opportunity to start to introduce and embrace and reflect more of God's loving kindness and goodness to the world. We all have that choice every single moment. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. But no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. When I think about being made in the image and in the likeness of God, the thing that I'm most impressed with is that though I can't see God, I can encounter him and I can see him as we love one another. 
That is what the book of John, 1 John tells us. That the image of God is then represented. That Selim of God is represented in the world when I encounter you and when we find ways to love one another, to bring and to call out more of that image of God in each other, to not call out differences and distinctions, but to say, I recognize the divine in you. I recognize that you are created in the image and in the likeness of God and that that is unique compared to anything else on the face of this earth. Nothing else can compare to that. And together, we get to be God's image bearers on the face of the earth. We get to start to reflect, to give shadow light, to understand what it would be to be in the presence of the king. And that's an awesome responsibility. And it's exciting and it's frightening And the fact that we can choose more of it every day is the part that's most exciting to me. That I can today choose to be a little bit more reflecting the image of God in this world. Or I can choose today to reflect a little bit less. But through the power of Christ and in community with one another, and as we love one another, you can pull more of the image of God out of me, and I can pull more of the image of God out of you. Together we can do that. Have there ever been people in your life where when you've encountered them, you've felt a little more human? You felt a little bit like your soul got saved just a little bit when you encountered that person, when you sat with their, in their presence. We can all become people who bring and bear the image of Christ in our community through our values, through our practice. Should we do that? It's an awesome responsibility, but it's kind of fun to be walking around going, hey, I am made in the image and likeness of God. Isn't that amazing? Genesis chapter 1, right there. And the ultimate image that we all get to follow is Jesus Christ. We're going to invite the band on up. We're going to close with a worship song. And what we'd like at this point is just to give you some opportunity to think about what it really means to you, to each one of us, to be made in the image of God. What it means to be created and fashioned with such purpose, with such um, potential for incredible good in this world through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled and amazed that you've chosen to create us in your image and in your likeness. God, I don't think there are words to truly understand or or grapple all that there is there, Jesus, but we ask right now, Lord, that you would simply let us rest in the truth that you've created us with purpose and you've created us with design and distinction to be your image bearers in this world, Lord. That you have democratized the image of God, that it doesn't belong to a King Tut or a Mesopotamian king or anyone else, God, but that all of humanity, every single one of us, Scythian, barbarian, Jew and Greek, all of us together are made in your image. And Jesus, we ask right now that you would help us to see one another, to honor in one another, the image of God that you have placed there, that we would recognize in each other as we encounter people at work or at the grocery store or at school or neighbors or family members, Lord, that as we encounter one another, we would be trying to recognize the tzelem of God in that person. God, teach us what it is to love more of you in each other, to see more of you in ourselves as well. And let us Bring your image to bear on this earth for your glory so that it can all point back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.